this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from yesterday, August 13th, here at the church. The title of the sermon is Building the Temple, and the scripture passage comes from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. The one you'll hear on the recording is the gospel reading, which comes immediately before the sermon, but isn't always the text that I preach about. It's certainly related as it's the story from Matthew, or the parable rather, of Jesus talking about the man who built his house on the rock versus the one who built his house on the sand. Um, but the text is actually from 1 Corinthians. There's also an introduction in the sermon generally to the book of Corinthians, because in our daily walk readings, the program that this church has of reading the Bible through in a year. In the New Testament section, we're now in Corinthians, so there's sort of an, a general introduction to that book as well. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 24th chapter, verses 24 through 27. <coughs> Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The Greek town of Corinth was a hopping place in Paul's day. One of the primary ports in the Mediterranean, it was a city of about 75,000 people. It had risen to be one of the wealthiest and one of the most important cities in all of Greece. It was also an artist's haven, and the Corinthians took pride in both their architecture and their many temples. If you remember back in art class, Corinthian columns, that's where they come from, from Corinth. They loved to have the most finely adorned temples of any place around. But all of that activity in Corinth had its dark side. Corinth had a reputation for some other things besides art. They were known for abusing their poor. As early as the 4th century BC, the Greek poet Aristophanes coined the phrase to Corinthianize, which meant to engage in sexual promiscuity. With sailors coming ashore after months at sea and many of the temples hiring temple prostitutes, it was a city not known for its restraint. It was also quite a religious mix. There was the cult of the emperor, which existed across the Roman Empire, and a large array of both Greek and Roman deities, each with their own very finely adorned temple. When the Jews were kicked out of Rome in 46 AD, many of them came to Corinth, so there was also a sizable Jewish population, and the mystery religions also had a very strong hold. And then, in A.D. 50, in pops Paul with Christianity. I tell you all of that because our daily walk readings have moved now from Romans into Corinthians. 
And many of the themes you'll be reading in Paul's letters to Corinth reflect the problems that that particular city was having, which had found their way into the church, as culture has a way of doing. You'll read strong condemnation this coming week of their sexual promiscuity. And you'll read Paul's thoughts about how those in church should deal with the fact that most of the meat that was sold in the public marketplace had been first offered as a sacrifice to one of the pagan gods. When Paul comes down hard on the way the church is celebrating communion, the problem is that notorious disregard for the poor. And of course, there are still the ongoing differences between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. There's also the ongoing challenge for Jewish Christians with those of their own faith who don't believe the Christian message. It's a complicated mix of things in a wild and woolly city. And once Paul leaves Corinth and goes to Ephesus, he begins to hear tales of how corruption is sneaking back into the church that he just left. So somewhere between about 53 and 54 AD, he sends the Corinthians a letter to try to straighten them out. Welcome to 1 Corinthians. Given life in Corinth, you can better understand why twice in the readings for this coming week, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that Christian temples are different from their pagan and even from their Jewish counterparts. The Christian temple is the body. That's where we gain our primary access to God. That was first made known in Jesus, God in human flesh, and then expanded to all who would invite God in. Christians didn't proclaim a God who was separate from people and who you had to go to a specific location to see and experience. Christians proclaimed that God came directly in to any heart that would open. The kingdom of God is within us, Jesus said, and we could meet Jesus there or also in the least of these, in the other human bodies that we would meet. The Christian message is that God is to be encountered in human flesh. But Paul is saying that whether God's residence is a temple of marble or stone or in the temple of a human body, there is still certain ways that temples ought to be treated. A temple is no less sacred because it's made of flesh and bone rather than shining with gold and silver and fine art. Treat your bodies with the respect that a holy temple deserves, is Paul's message. On the one hand, that's an understandable message. As I mentioned, the Corinthians prided themselves in the adornment of their physical temples. They took good care of them, both for the sake of their gods and for the sake of the tourist industry that brought lots of people to Corinth to see all that fine artwork and those great Corinthian columns. But in a culture where prostitution was an accepted form of worship, with prostitutes on the temple staff, you know, religion was more popular in those days. <laughs> but with all of that going on, it was a bit more difficult to compare the body to a temple and still come out in the right place. For Jews, that wouldn't have been a problem. But for the Gentile Corinthians, it was a problem. And that's why this week's readings are so full of sexual instruction. Paul's not obsessed with it. The Corinthians are. And so he needs to address it. 
21st century America is both the same and different. Today we arrest the temple prostitutes and we call them sex offenders. When sexual abuse happens in churches, we know now that three temples have been desecrated. The physical location where the abuse took place and the bodies of both the abuser and the abused. But Paul's injunction reminds us that when abuse happens anywhere of any kind, the offense is not just against an individual. The offense is against the temple of the Holy Spirit. The radical statement that Christians bring to the world is that bodies matter. They're not terrible prisons to be escaped, as the Gnostics believed, but sanctified temples where God has consented to dwell. In Jesus, God became an embodied spirit. That was a descent on God's part, but the story ends with a bodily resurrection and ascension into heaven of Jesus to show that the point was not to demean God, but to elevate human creation. Well, that's all very nice, but so what? Do Paul's words to the Corinthians have any meaning for us? Unfortunately, they do. I say unfortunately because taking the body seriously as the temple of the Holy Spirit limits what I can do with it. We're famous for the it's my body and I can do what I want with it attitude. The biblical witness is that's not true. This body that we've been given is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the place where God dwells. And I shouldn't be a slumlord with it. In very practical terms for me, that means that I finally had to bite the bullet and find a doctor. I've had this fantastical bruise on my arm all week because the woman who took my blood missed. (laughs) And I had to subject my body to the indignities of an exam to be sure that my temple was up to snuff. Well, not only is it up to snuff, it's kind of (laughs) over-snuffed by about 15 pounds. And so the temple custodian says, Anne, that's got to go. So after a week of going to bed hungry and doubling my exercise, I gained two pounds. So completely discouraged and afraid of everything in the refrigerator, I finally consulted a nutritionist and discovered it wasn't the quantity of food that was causing a problem. It was the particular foods that I was eating. So now I'm starting over, hopefully with more success. Now, trying to lose 15 pounds at 47 isn't easy, but taking care of my temple is still a heck of a lot easier than for those who need to quit smoking, to break an alcohol or other addiction, or get out of an unhealthy relationship. But taking care of our temples means all that and more. When the Christian message sinks in, we realize that wherever we go, God goes. Are we taking God to the places that God wants to go? Are we staying away from the places where God longs to be? Whatever we do, God does, because God is dwelling in us. What does God do at your house? God plays a lot of Titan Quest in the parsonage. Maybe God thinks it's cool that we're wearing the light Alexandrian great helm of retribution and the protective scale leggings of virility. But the point is, I don't often ask as much as I should. 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? As our final hymn that I taught with the children will remind us, the church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. The Christian witness tells us that that is very literally true. God doesn't sit here in the building and wait for us to show up. God is dwelling with each one of us, expecting us to treat that dwelling place with honor and with respect. So I invite you this week to think about the ways that you can spruce up God's temple. Maybe you want to join me in losing some weight. Maybe you need to get that physical exam, take another stab at getting rid of that addiction. Or simply try to be more conscious of the fact that you're taking God everywhere and anywhere you go and engaging God in every activity in which you engage. Maybe you need to slow down and give your mind and body more rest. Maybe you've been too slow and you need to speed up and get out there and do something. We exist as a church community, not because you can't access God by yourself, but because sanctifying our temples is hard. Generally, it takes the support of other people who understand how hard it is and what's at stake if we don't. We gather together as a church to help each other. Sometimes we're the ones needing support, and sometimes we're here to be available to others when they need support. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. For God's temple is holy, says Paul, and you are that temple. Take care of it. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. I'd love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Thank you.